come on. Red Rocks Church, how we doing this weekend? We doing okay? How we doing? We doing okay? I hope you're doing great in your home this weekend. I love this song because it doesn't really matter what your circumstances look like, what situation you find yourself in right this minute. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know I got some struggles and some troubles of my own. I don't know if you guys got some struggles and troubles of your own, but singing songs like this is the great reminder for the soul that at the end of the day, I get the greatest privilege, the greatest honor, the greatest gift I've ever been given, and that's to be called a child of God, someone that belongs to him someone that he loves, someone that he wants to serve, someone that he wants to give great gifts to. And so I just want to start off by just saying, if you got nothing else in your life to celebrate, can you celebrate that the one who made everything, the one who fashioned and formed the universe, the one who is stringing together the histories of the ages, his eyes are upon you. He sees you in your plight. He loves you with an unconditional love. He went to the cross to give you a mercy and a forgiveness that you cannot outrun. That's something to celebrate this weekend. I'm excited, I got a word on my heart and I, I wanna launch us into prayer before we dive into the word. And so if you would join with me, God, I just pray this weekend, would you speak to us profoundly? God, I know that there's some people going through some really difficult situations and your word is the remedy for our situations that we find ourselves in. God, the pain that I feel in my heart, the pain that people feel in their heart. God, you are the solution. You are the medication. You are the antidote. And God, as we're in a world that's searching, searching, searching for a remedy to a sickness, God, you have the, the remedy for the sickness of our soul. And so this weekend, we lean into your word. God, would you birth in us fresh purpose, fresh passion, fresh desire. God, I pray for the tired heart, the weary heart, the one who can't feel like they can just go on another day. God, would you inspire them and encourage them this weekend? We pray all of this in the precious, magnanimous, undefeated name of Jesus Christ and everybody around the world said, amen. Hey, you could be seated. You could be seated. Give somebody an air high five if you're in the room, if you're watching at home, if you're in a coffee shop, just kind of without somebody catching you, just give them an air high five if you can do that. I want to talk this weekend about struggles. A couple weeks ago, I, I, I talked on the idea of calling, and I only got to preach half of what I wanted to preach on, and so you're going to get uh, part two, um, but I think that the course gets better as it goes on, and so um, we're going to take a look at a, a familiar passage of Scripture for a lot of us, a story that maybe we've heard before, but as I was prepping and thinking, I was thinking about one of the things that we're seeing in culture right now, if you're on social media, People are posting these, these little posts. They're tweeting them, putting it on Instagram, Facebook. And, and they, they post one picture of, of, of how it started. And then they post another picture of how it's going. Have you seen that? Anybody done some of those? Come on, Whitney Best, you've done one of those. So I, I wanted to, to, to show us kind of how it started and how it's going to kind of illustrate. If you're unfamiliar, I'll let you see kind of what they look like. But it made me think a lot about how, how dreams start in their origination. If you've ever had a dream, 
sometimes it's, it's hard to keep that dream to yourself. You just got to tell people. It just finds its way into conversations. You're excited about it. You're passionate about it. You haven't felt any of the sting of a dream. Have you ever felt that? Well, I want, I want to show you this because if we would take Red Rocks Church and throw it into a how it started versus how it's going, here's how it started, right? Like pretty infantile starting, not many people. There weren't matching chairs in the room. The carpet was ugly. Sean wore baggy jeans, didn't have gray hair. What? Like, it's a small room, small influence, small impact. And, and in the moment, though, hearts are full of dreams. Hearts are full of desires. That's how it, how it started. And then fast track through somebody that's able to persevere through some struggles, persevere through some conflict. We're able to post some really amazing pictures now on, on Instagram about how it's going, Right? Like filling arenas. We just recorded a brand new album coming in the spring. What's up, what's up, what's up? But we can take a look at these pictures, juxtapose how it started when the dream began, when the dream was birthed, versus what we're walking in now. Pastor Sean, it makes for a really great Instagram post, doesn't it? I'll let you steal it. You can post it. It makes the dream look pretty attractive. Makes it look like as a church, we're, we're, we're living the dream, but what I want to talk about this weekend isn't so much how it started or how it's going. I want, to, I want to pay attention to right here. You guys see this white space right here? I want to talk about the space in between how it starts and how it's going, because Instagram puts up for us a really interesting picture of someone in their infantile stage of a dream and the manifestation of what looks like the fullness of the dream. But Instagram doesn't tell us about this struggle that happens right here in this small space between how it started and how it's going. It's right here, this space right here, the conflict, the pain, Pastor Sean, the struggle, the head games. It's the pressure right here that keep most people living in how it started. It never looks any different. But if you want to go from how it started into the fullness of what God has for you, you need to learn how to occupy, occupy this space fully. I wonder where are you in the journey of your dream? I don't know about you, but the dreams God gave me are, are much more sexy much more appealing when I got them in my living room in my time with God. When I actually have to walk those out, it's a, it's a lot more difficult. And for those of you that have started a business, you know what I'm talking about. Like you get the idea to start the business and it sounds amazing. Financial independence. I'm going to build my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to build my own dream. And then you get into it in that space in between and you realize that the money that you make, you have to actually go and earn yourself. You don't get health insurance. You don't have somebody contributing to a 401k. Like you don't have an employee to assist you on the things that you just aren't good at. You're all alone. The dream looks a lot different than the journey to the dream. For those of you that have wanted to start a family, I can remember conversations with my wife. I'm like, are we ready? She's like, no. And I'm like, let's just do it anyway. Like we just had dreams of a family and, and what would happen and, you know, we're watching other friends have kids and, and it's just how it started was so cute. 
You know, like we could tell people about it and it was fun. And then you have kids and then you're in that space in between and you realize they're hard headed and they're expensive. And, and, and it's up to you to, to, to fashion, inform their moral character and help their decision making. It's hard. The, the dream looks a lot different, especially when you say, let's have a family. And then you couldn't. It's the white space. It's the struggle between how it started and how it's going. I want to talk this weekend, if you're taking notes, which you should, because you get first in line in heaven and infinite amount of ice cream. <laughs> the title of my message is Don't Stop in the Struggle. Don't Stop in the Struggle. As I was thinking about this whole how it started and how it's going phenomenon, I, it, it reminded me of a story of Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, not Jesus' father Joseph, Old Testament Joseph. We get the privilege now in 2020 to read through Joseph's entire life in about 10 minutes. We see how it started, and then we see how it went. We get to see the, 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 the trials and the pitfalls. We get to see the, the tribulations that he encountered. But it, it's only about a 10-minute span. He's, he's, he had to live through this journey of, of how the dream started when God gave it to him until the moment that he got to see fulfillment. There's a lot to learn in between, and I want to talk about the struggle in between and the perspective that we got to have if we want to get through the struggle, not to stop in the struggle. You see, Joseph, early on in his days, he was one of 11 brothers, and the Bible says that he was daddy's boy. He was the favorite son. He, he, his daddy even went out of the way. Get this. Parents are always feeling like, man, I don't necessarily know that I have a favorite child. You know, like they all have their own space in my heart. <laughs> Like they're all little blessings. They all got their own little tailor-made place in me, and I just love them all the same. Well, not Joseph's dad. He was a savage. The Bible actually says, the Bible says that, that, that Joseph was Israel's favorite son. Now think about this. If the Bible says that Joseph was Israel's favorite son, how do you think his brothers felt in real life? Like, you, you could guess that he's probably not going to be very loved, very liked. He's not going to be the poster boy of the brotherhood. He's going to be the outcast. He's going to be the black sheep. And to make matters worse, his dad goes, Joseph, oh, I just love you so much, son. I got you the swaggiest jacket that I could find, and I want you to wear it every day as a symbol of my love and affection that everybody knows, including our family, my favors upon you. My affirmation is upon you. My blessing is upon you. My affections are towards you first and foremost. Now, you got to think about this because Joseph wears this jacket every day. Like, it's, it's Gucci, but it, it tells his brothers, I'm better than you. And if you don't believe me, wait, because it's going to get published in the Bible. Like, I'm the favorite. I'm daddy's favorite. And there starts to be some friction in the family. Brothers don't like him. Brothers are like, I want some dad time. I want some dad affection. I want to go fishing with dad. Joseph always gets to. We're out working and he's home with dad. Like, what's going on here? And one day, God gives Joseph a dream. And I want to say this. This is a side, not part of my message. But always be careful when it comes to dreams that your dream is God-given 
not you create it. You'll never find in scripture where God will command you to go away and get your heart full of dreams. You'll never see it. Every time, actually, that man took their own dreams and tried to fulfill them, you'll watch as God tries to derail them and smite them. Look at the Tower of Babel for an illustration. Like The goal for us is not to, to create the dreams of our heart. The goal is to be open and available for God to speak a dream in due season. So here Joseph is. He's sleeping one night. He gets a dream from God. And in this dream, he just sees all of his brothers bowing down before him. And there's this amazing metaphors and, and this uh, cool pictures of what's taking place. And his family's there. And he's exalted. And he goes and he tells his brothers. He's like, guys, I'll never believe this. Had the coolest dream. And you're going to love it. Get this. So you guys were all coming and you were, you were, you were bowing down before me and, and I was being raised up to a place of prominence and it was awesome. Isn't that so cool? Isn't that cool? And my swag jacket, daddy's favorite. Don't you like that? And the Bible says that his brothers became furious, rightfully so. And to just add insult to injury, God gives Joseph another dream just looks different, but the, the gist is the same. And, and he sees him exalted and his family gravitating towards him, bowing down before him, almost to be subservient or in need before Joseph. And he tells him it again, and his family is outraged. They're going, you're, you're trying to tell us this is the dream that God gave to you, and you want us to be excited about it. How many of you know your dreams don't have a safe place with everybody? When God gives you a dream, you need to steward it effectively and don't give it to the wrong people because not everybody's going to celebrate your dream. So he gives it to the wrong people. They don't celebrate it. And, and to take matters even further, they say, guys, I've had it up to here with Joseph. You guys too? Yeah, we have too. Can't stand him. Daddy's favorite. Just sitting at home. Ain't got no calluses. Ain't have to watch no sheep. Ain't have to shovel no poo. Home alone, hanging out with mama, eating porridge. We're tired of this guy. So they devise a plan to take Joseph out. I just want to let you know that when you share your dreams with the wrong people, your dreams are deeply connected with who God wants you to be. When somebody derails your dream, they derail a part of you. So hide it close. And his brothers go, we've had enough. We've seen too much. We've heard too much, lived too much. It's time that we take him out. They decide to take him and throw him into a pit, a cistern. And they said, let's just leave him here to die. Let's kill this fool. Dreamer. Stupid dream. Think you're better than us. His brothers throw him into a pit. And the Bible says that as they're sitting there deliberating with Joseph in the pit, they see some, some tradesmen coming, and they're like, let's, let's not just kill him. We don't have anything to profit if we just kill him. Let's do something better. Let's sell this fool to be a slave in another nation. So what they did before they threw Joseph into the pit is they stripped him of his coat, the cloak, the covering, the, the, the mark of approval of the father upon Joseph's life, the, the mark of his belonging in the family. They remove the covering, and they throw him into the cistern completely unclothed, waiting, abandoned, neglected, like forsaken, absolutely at wit's end, not sure how he's going to escape. They throw him in and they decide, let's sell this fool to some traders so that he could be a slave in somebody else's land. 
Now, if we're gonna learn how to occupy the space between how the dream starts when God speaks it to you, Connor, and what it's gonna look like in its fruition or, or partial fruition, we have to learn some things about Joseph's story because, spoiler alert, there's coming a day where Joseph is gonna be number two in command of all of Egypt. I want you to just know part of that story because as we look through this story, there is great success in the future, but the journey looks nothing like success. He's sitting in a pit, stripped of his clothes, his covering, everything that he associated with me. It's who I am. This is where I've belonged. This is where I fit in. This is a mark of the affirmation that I get in my life. And in one moment, everything is stripped away from him, and he's thrown into a pit. This is scene one of Joseph's dream coming to fulfillment. Can I ask you a question? Is this the scene you would have written? You see, because I think there's something very essential that if we miss out on what's happening in Joseph's life, you're going to miss out on some key things that are going to help you push through this struggle, because there's going to be a pit moment in your life at some point. There's going to be a moment where God allows things to be stripped away that you have so deeply connected your identity to. There's going to be positions and title and status and security that, that he may allow to be removed for a moment so you sit vulnerable for a second. You see, in my eyes, when I look at Pastor Sean Johnson, I think pastor. Imagine for a moment pastor is removed from his title. He's no longer able to be a pastor. He's rejected. He's ostracized from the community. How does he feel internally when everything that he knows, everything he's poured his life into is stripped away? This is what's happened to Joseph. He's removed from his family, the place of security, the place of identity, the place of his affection. Everything is stripped away. He had to go to a dark place for God to remove some things that were going to be necessary endings in his journey towards his dream. I wonder, what do you do when you're in the pit? What's the purpose of the pit? Because a lot of us, when we're in the pit, and it's dark, and it's cold, and we're alone, I don't have my title anymore. I don't have that steady income anymore. I don't have my spouse anymore. I don't have my dad anymore. When everything is stripped away from you, God was trying to teach Joseph a necessary lesson that the only vital thing in him accomplishing the God dreams of his heart was going to be God himself. You see, I've been in pit seasons before, and I've always mistaken them as God's absence in my life. I've always thought, I'm, I'm here because God's neglected me again. God, you're not paying attention to me again. You're giving Andrew Matrone all the respect. You're giving him all the space, all the attention. You're not hearing any of my prayer requests. I'm all alone. You're not there, God. But that's not the case for Joseph's story. As he's in the pit, neglected, abandoned, betrayed, stripped, removed from everything that he has known to be him, the Bible says something really, really interesting. As the, the traitors take Joseph back to Egypt, look what the Bible says in Genesis 39, verse 2. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph. 
Friends, part of the the goal of the pits in our life, those dark places, those places where you feel like things are being removed and taken from you that you just don't know that you could bear to handle, part of that that those instances in your life is God proving, reestablishing that the only necessary thing for you to accomplish is his purpose, his plans for your life is his very presence. And so here Joseph is, he is bound, but God is with him. He is still a slave, but God is with him. God didn't remove him from his circumstance. He just said, I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to stay near you. I'm going to be close to you during this season. Some of you need to know the difficult struggles in your life don't prove the absence of God, but I promise you, it will expose his nearness to you in them. But the Lord was with Joseph. You know, one of the things that I've just loved about this story, there's been so many moments in my life, work, career, friends, like different business ventures that I've been a part of. Sometimes it's so easy to get threatened by the people around you. You ever had that boss? Not you, Sean, in the past. You ever had that manager? You ever had that parole officer? You ever had that employee, that family member? that it seems like every time you're trying to get yours, you get rejected, neglected, forgotten. Nobody sees how hard I'm working. Nobody notices the amount of time I put in. Nobody sees the giftings in me. There's something that I've learned about the story of Joseph. It was the hands of his brothers that rejected him, but it was the hands of God that got him there, which leads me to this conclusion. There ain't nobody in In my life, no man can hinder the plans of God for my life. You see, he's bound, he's a slave, he's been stripped, he's been abandoned, but God is with him there. I wonder for some of you struggling this weekend, can I just tell you that God is nearer than you think? And maybe, just maybe, it is his absolute kindness that he's allowing you to go through such painful situations just to over-communicate. He will never leave you when it feels like everybody else will. He will not stop providing for you when it seems like all provision has dried up. Maybe your struggle isn't a sign of the absence of God, but maybe he's using your struggle to show he's all you need. I want to continue on in this story because the Bible continues on to, to, to say that, that essentially what happens is he's, he's sold into Egypt and he's purchased by a man by the name of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar is, a, is an officer of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the big shot. He's the creme de la creme of Egyptian culture. He, he's like Justin Bieber. Everybody knows him. Everybody's seen him. Everybody likes him. Everybody fears him. Everybody knows who this guy is. He's the ruler. He's in charge. He gets the final say. And Joseph is sold to one of Pharaoh's officers named Potiphar. Now, when he's sold into slavery, reminder that throughout the course of the rest of this story, he is a slave. Not for one moment does God change his position, his title, his authority, his circumstances. He remains a slave, 
But I want to show you something. As he steps into this new position, there's something interesting that unfolds in the story. If you look at Genesis 39, verse 2, look what happens as Joseph steps into his new role as slave under Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. Everybody say successful. In the chat, right? Successful. Successful. Watch this. Circle this next word in your Bible. It says, and. Everybody say, and. Everybody say, and a little bit more swaggy. And. And. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. Something jumped off the pages as I was studying this because the Bible says that God was with Joseph and he was successful. And he lived in the household of his Egyptian master. God was with him. He was successful, but he was a slave. The Lord was with him. He was successful, yet he was still a slave. It kind of challenged my perspective on what success really is. You know, I think oftentimes about me getting to the end of my days and, and, and showing God what I amassed over the course of a lifetime, the things that I achieved, and I just got a feeling that there's going to be certain things that I attributed as successful that he's not really going to give too much excitement about. There's something about this passage where the Bible says that God was with Joseph, he was successful. Oh yeah, and he just happened to still be a slave serving in Potiphar's house. <laughs> Friends, can I tell you that maybe our perspective on what is successful as you're looking at your dream, as you're pursuing your dream, as you're chasing down the dream and the call of God on your life, maybe success isn't what we thought it was. Maybe success is just being precisely where God wants you to be and trusting it. Can I say that again? Success just might be being precisely where God wants you and trusting it. You know, sometimes I'm okay with being where God wants me to be, but I don't necessarily trust it because I'm always looking for an out. You ever been there? Like, I'm, I'm glad I'm on staff at Red Rocks, but I'd kind of like that role. You ever been there? I, I, I kind of like being a manager. I'd just like to be a manager at that company. I like being a mom, but I kind of want to raise those kids, right? Like success looks pretty different, but he's reinforcing your success is the fact that God is with you. And for every single believer under the sound of my voice, the Bible says that God is with you. He sticks closer than a brother. He will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. I wonder, are you successful? Because I think what God was trying to teach Joseph in this season of his life and obscurity and struggle is in order for him to not stop in the struggle, he needed to realize a new measure of success. Success is being precisely where God wants me and trusting it. I love this Genesis 39 verse 5. It goes on and it gives us a little snapshot of how things are going, right? Like how it started and then 
Here's Joseph on how it's going. So how it's going in verse five, it says this, from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all, everybody said all, all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. This is amazing because Potiphar just struck gold when he got this slave. He didn't realize that he was getting somebody that carried the very presence of God. He didn't realize that he had somebody that had a closeness and a nearness to God. He had God's affection, which was greater than his father's affection. He had God's favor, which was greater than his father's favor. He had Joseph, who was near to God, and thus God blessed everything he touched. I wonder, do you underestimate what God wants to do through you in your place of work? If he can do it through a slave, what could he do through you? Friends, I walk around with a little bit more swagger now because when I walk into a room, I might not be qualified, but I got his presence. I might not be very skilled. Somebody say amen, but I got his presence. I might not be able to talk good most times, but I got his presence. And so I don't need any other qualifying factors. I don't need a new role. I don't need a new title. Can you drop the slave part? Just make me a manager, regional guy, something like that, operations. No, he he said, I'm going to be fully content right here. And I'm going to see through that everything that I touch becomes successful because my worth isn't contingent on my title or what I'm allowed to do or whether or not I belong here or whether or not I deserve to be here. My character, my work ethic, what I'm going to do here is going to be a complete demonstration of the fact that I carry the presence of the very God of the universe. Come on, somebody. Let this change the way you go to work on Monday. Let it change the way you raise your kids Monday. It's a game changer. So here he is. He's killing it. He's successful, overseeing everything that Potiphar oversees. And then something happens. Andrew, there's a description about Joseph that is a lot like me. It says that he was, he was strong and handsome. Just some minor giggles and mostly people going, that's a stupid joke. He was strong and handsome. He's successful. He's running the show. He's, he's raised to a, a level of prominence. And somebody takes notice, and that somebody just happens to be Potiphar's wife. Somebody say, brown chicken, brown cow. So she starts sending some signals. Joseph, I want you to sleep with me. She's hitting him up on Tinder. Slipping into the DMs, letting him know, Joseph, I like what I see. Do you like what you see? We can maybe, you know, get down to business, tango a little bit. It's in the Bible, people. It's in the Bible. Send Sean an email. But the Bible says that Joseph flees from one of her attacks. What's interesting is in this second offense in his life, it is the second instance where the cloak was removed from him in the moment of offense. When his brothers rejected him, ostracized him, and neglected him, they took away his cloak. Just so happens that when he runs away from some compromise, what's left in the shadows of his dust is his cloak. You know, I just look into this passage. The cloak throughout scripture was a symbol of belonging, covering, 
It's a symbol of protection. It covered up some stuff, if you know what I mean. It was a level of protection for somebody, and when that was removed, it was a symbol of them losing the covering that someone had placed on them. It was a symbol of losing their place of belonging that somebody had placed on them. Both instances, he loses his cloak. And I just got to believe that it was because God was trying to reinforce that the cloak that was going to mark Joseph's life was not going to be some identity that somebody else put on him. No, it was not going to be some success measure that somebody else put on him. It wasn't going to be somebody else saying, I'll protect you. I'm going to stick with you. We're bros for life, ride or die. It wasn't some sort of just a, a kind gesture. God says, I'm going to mark you with just me. I'm going to let everything that's marked you and cover you be removed so that all that remains is me, but it's going to require you to get very, 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 very vulnerable. And what I've realized in my own life is how it starts Oftentimes, some of the things that keep me from moving in this direction is my inability to be vulnerable enough to be naked and bare and just me, just me as I am before God. And this is the second time that this has happened to Joseph, and it will be the second time that God reinforces his identity, his provision, and his power in Joseph's life. Joseph is now sent to a prison. Scene number two, if you were writing Joseph's story about the, the dream of God. I don't know that I'd make it about a prison. You know, I'd, I'd probably make it about a promotion. I'd probably make it about him getting a lottery ticket or getting that striking rich on a, on a perfect stock purchase. Like, I wouldn't make it of him going into a prison. It's not the scene I'd orchestrate, you know? I'd, I'd cut that scene because it just makes God look cruel, it would screw with our Christian theology that we think that because God's with us, everything's going to be good. It's quiet. No, God allows him to go into the prison, but notice what it says as he goes into the prison, Genesis 39, 21, 22. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love. Somebody say steadfast love. He was in a prison and God was showing steadfast love. He's a slave that is now in prison and that's God showing him steadfast love. It doesn't necessarily make sense to me, Pastor Sean. It says, and he gave him favor. And in the sight of the keeper of the prison and the, the, the keeper of the prison who, who put Joseph in charge over all of the prisoners, everybody say all, put him in all of the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Now, let me just remind you, he is a slave, friends, doesn't deserve to be there, doesn't belong there. He is wrongfully a slave. Then he's placed into prison as a wrongfully appointed slave. He's now a wrongfully appointed slave who's now a wrongfully appointed prisoner. It makes me wonder what your life looks like right now. Does your life right now look like God's abandoned you? neglected you, 
people from every relationship in your life, there is brokenness. Finances are fleeing. You're in a situation where you're a slave wrongfully appointed who's been made a prisoner wrongfully appointed, yet the Bible says that God's steadfast love was there and that he succeeded in the place that God had him, which that is success. I wonder what it would look like for you to succeed in this season. Season of obscurity, a season of pain, a season of betrayal, a, a season where you feel rejected and neglected and forsaken and forgotten, too broken, too dirty, too set aside, ungifted, unqualified. I wonder what it would look like if you could take a few notes from the story of Joseph because God's going to finally give us what it looks like to be his, what it looks like to be steadfast in the struggle because here Joseph is. He finally gets to this point where he goes like, man, God, I, I don't deserve to be here. It's a breaking point. You know this of all people, God, I don't deserve to be here. I don't, I'm not supposed to be here. And there's this moment where Joseph's given an opportunity to translate a dream for one of Pharaoh's right-hand men. He's got a baker and a and a cupbearer. Both have had falling outs with the Pharaoh and they're thrown into prison. They both have dreams and then they panic because they go, nobody's here to interpret these dreams for us. But guess what? God put somebody in a prison that had a pretty good history with dreams. So Joseph pulls him in. He says, guys, listen, I don't have inside of me the ability to interpret your dreams, but I know the God of the universe who can. So come on in. He gives the interpretation and he says, listen, cupbearer, here's what your dream means. In three days, you're gonna be restored. You're gonna go back to your rightful place, serving alongside the Pharaoh. And the baker goes, man, that's pretty favorable. <laughs> Tell me mine. He says, in three days, you're gonna be murdered and you're gonna have a stake driven through your body. Not so favorable. So he leans over to the cupbearer and he says, hey, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be in prison. I, I, I'm wrongfully accused. I shouldn't even be a slave. I was brought here wrongfully. Listen, when you get out of here, can you make sure you tell the Pharaoh about me? Have you ever had a situation where you go, I think this might be my out. I think this might be God orchestrating to get me out of this crummy situation, out of this crummy relationship, out of this crummy financial crisis, out of this crummy health diagnosis. This might be my way out. And the Bible says that when the cupbearer left the prison, he forgot all about Joseph. Friends, can I tell you that no man can ever thwart the plans of God for your life? Joseph was forgotten, wrongfully accused, wrongfully sent into slavery. Here he is in a prison going, God, I don't deserve to be here. You got the wrong guy. Can I just encourage some of you this weekend that you have felt so much over the course of your life in pursuit of the God dreams of your heart. You've seen so much opposition, so much struggle, so much kickback, so much rejection. You feel like you've been forgotten, left for dead. Nobody sees me. Nobody loves me. Nobody wants me. Can I just tell you, part of the goal of getting you from the conception of your dream to the fulfillment of your dream is your ability to not stop in the struggle. Can I tell you that he is 
near to you. He sees you. He is the only covering that you need. He is the only strength that you need. God is near to you in the cry of my heart. And I know the cry of God's heart is please don't stop in the struggle. I know life's hard right now. And that story reminds me of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. There's a story about the Apostle Paul, and he, he says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. He says, even though I have received such powerful and wonderful revelations, I'm sorry, from God, even though I've seen all that, he showed me some good stuff. He's given me great revelation. He says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. I wonder, do you have a thorn in your flesh? Because look what the apostle Paul says. He says, three different times, I beg God to take this away from me. I beg you, God, take me out of this situation. Get me free. Heal me. Fix our marriage. Get me out of debt. Get me a new job. Get me a job. Help us have a kid prayed this over and over and over and listen to his reply he says each time he said to me my grace is all you need somebody say oh my grace is all you need my power works best in weakness so the apostle paul says now i am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of christ can work through me friends joseph was in a prison crying out god get me out of here I'm forgotten, I'm betrayed, I'm neglected, I am not seen by anybody, I don't belong here. This doesn't look like the dream that you gave me. Can I tell you there's been so many moments doing what I'm doing right now, it's been the dream since I was a kid. But I can't tell you how many times I've prayed, God, just take it away. Friends, more than this message is for you, it's a message that God's burning in my heart. I'm not stopping in the struggle. Satan, you're going to have to work harder to get me to move. Can I encourage you? Don't stop in the struggle. God used the pit, He used the prison to get Joseph evidently into the palace he was second in command and there was a moment where joseph was able to save his family from famine they came before him and as he was in a place exalted it just looked different than what he thought it would look like friends your dream will look different than when god gave it to you how it started will look different than how it's going but i want to encourage you don't God, right now, I pray for every single person with a call of God upon their life. God, a dream that you have birthed and born and fashioned in them, many from the time of their youth. God, I pray, would you resurrect it 
And for people right now that are in a season of struggle, a season where life is difficult, it's confusing, they feel like opposition is on every side, God, I pray, let your strength increase in their weakness. God, let your clarity burn forth in their confusion. God, let your passion and the energy of the Holy Spirit burn within them when fatigue overcomes them. God, would you be their peace when they have none? Would you be their security when it feels like everything's been stripped through? Because God, we don't have the opportunity to stop in the struggle. So God, I pray for some world changers this weekend that are just so bold enough to take God at his word when it doesn't look like it. God, we won't mistake struggle for your absence, but we'll allow the struggle to change our perspective because if you can change our perspective, God, there ain't nothing taking us out of the struggle. God, I pray that over the next few months, weeks, years, decades, God, we would watch people from concept of their dream to how it's going. God, we would see people fashioned and formed in your strength, in your provision, in your covering. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so today I just pray, God, would you breathe fresh and anew, new, new dreams? Would you breathe fresh and anew, fresh focus, fresh inspiration, fresh hope for the future? And we pray all of these things in the precious mighty name of Jesus Christ and everybody unwilling to stop in the struggle said amen